Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. It teaches us so much about not only our salvation, but how to live uh, once we are saved, Lord. And uh, this, this passage has uh, broad reach to us, uh, so many contexts, Lord, uh, where we have to think about our relationship to uh, the wider world. Uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will come, uh, convict us where we are not living according to your word. Uh, Lord, change us uh, through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What is your reaction when I say the word government? <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, I understand. Uh, you know, in the history of the world, there has never been such a thing as perfect government. We've tried monarchies, oligarchies. Uh, we've tried uh, dictatorships, socialism communism, anarchy, democracy, democratic republics, we've tried them all, and none of them are perfect. You know, uh, the Puritans tried to establish uh, the perfect church, the perfect government. Uh, their vision was to ensure that only true Christians would be members of the church, and only true Christians would hold seats in government. And so they dreamed of this utopian society, this, this city on a hill uh, where godliness permeated every aspect of society. So their plan was to allow only people into the church who were baptized and could demonstrate uh, a personal religious experience, whatever that means. Only church members were allowed to vote, so therefore they would elect only godly people. Uh, and so in no time they would purify the church, they would purify the government. Easy, right? Sounds like a perfect plan. Well, there were some problems. Uh, one problem is that even real, bona fide, born-again believers sin, right? Uh, Christians still sin. I could offer myself as exhibit A. I don't want to sin, but I still continue to sin. Another problem is that it's difficult, if not impossible, to tell a genuine Christian. How do you know, right? Only God knows the heart. Uh, baptism and the claim of a personal religious experience don't prove uh, regeneration uh, or uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then there's the problem of your children. What do you do with your children? Y'all have raised teenagers, right? And you realize that they don't always share in your vision. Uh, the, the, the children of the Puritans didn't necessarily hold to the same ideals that their Puritan parents held, and they didn't have the same zeal, uh, and they didn't have the same vision. Well, eventually, the Puritan vision died because it's impossible to have perfect church or perfect government when it's run by sinful human beings. And so the Puritan experiment proves that we will never have perfect government, never this side of heaven. Well, Paul surely knew a thing or two about uh, imperfect government, right? Paul lived in the first century uh, under the Roman Empire, a, a dictatorship uh, to say the least. Uh, a person lived or died according to the whims of whoever was in control. A simple thumbs up or a thumbs down could mean your head stays on or your head comes off. That's the way it was in the first century. Paul never enjoyed the right to vote. Do you know that? He never got to go out and campaign for the candidate that he sought, thought would best uh, suit his political leanings. Uh, he never got to do that. The Jews hated the Romans because they occupied their land uh, and they had no respect for Jewish law and they oppressed them through a high taxation and through fear. 
And so the Romans turned wickedness into an art form. Uh, and Paul had every reason to urge his believing brethren to revolt against the government. But instead, he said, be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now remember, we're still in this section of Romans, beginning in chapter 12, where Paul was talking about our relationship to uh, other people. Uh, in view of God's mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Uh, do it by being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul spent Romans 12 telling us how to do this. He said, uh, offer your bodies by not thinking more highly of yourselves than you ought to, by using your spiritual gifts in service to the body, by loving without hypocrisy, and by never returning evil for evil, but returning evil with good. Then, in chapter 13, where we are now, Paul is shifting. It's a shift to how we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices uh, in view of our place in the greater community, uh, how our status is, what our role is uh, in relation to the government. How do we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in relation to the government? Well, we do it by being in subjection to those in authority. Uh, so we have to be subject to our authorities, verses 1 and 2. Uh, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So every person, literally every soul, is supposed to be in subjection to the gover governing authorities. There's no loopholes there, brothers and sisters. Every single one of us must be in subjection to the governing authorities. Uh, so being in subjection means that we recognize our subordinate position. We are under government. Uh, that's the hierarchy that God established. So God is over government, government is under God, and we are under the government. And so uh, we, as uh, Christians, we must submit to the government. Uh, we submit by respecting our leaders, by showing them deference uh, and obeying them. Uh, submission is, is broader than just obedience, but it, certain, it certainly includes obedience. Uh, and it also involves an attitude of compliance and respect. Now, submission to the government is not a popular idea these days, as you very well know. Uh, many of us don't like the direction that uh, the administration is leading our country. Um, that does not give us the right to do anything subversive against this administration. We have the right to peacefully protest, but peaceful protest itself is submissive protest. A peaceful protest does not break laws or take up arms or revolt against the government that God has put in place. Now that's what makes all that we've seen over the past 12 months, all the protests, all the riots, so disturbing. They did not protest peacefully in many occasions, but violently they protested against the government. Uh, in places like Seattle and Portland, uh, they destroyed buildings and monuments and police stations and other buildings and stores. Uh, so much destruction. They, they squatted in other parts of the city uh, and they called these places autonomous zones where they wouldn't even allow police to enter. And so it was mob rule. It was anarchy uh, within their zone. 
Now that is not being in subjection, being under, submitting to the governing authorities. That's rebelling against the government by taking up arms and using violence to foster change. Now God calls everyone, all souls, to be subject to the governing authorities. That's the general rule. That is the rule. Now, uh, there are exceptions, and we will talk about them. But the exceptions are not Paul's point. And as we go through the passage, you're going to see that Paul doesn't even mention any exceptions. It's everyone be in subjection to the governing authorities at all times. Uh, there are exceptions, but we have to infer them from this passage and from other uh, biblical passages that uh, we will reference later on. Uh, but the exceptions are extremely rare. Uh, our duty as Christians is to be good citizens by obeying the government. Now, why is that? Well, verse 1, it's because God is sovereign. Uh, there is no authority except from God. God is sovereign over his creation. He's sovereign over the people he created, and he's sovereign over the government that he established. Uh, God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. To have order, we need laws, right? We need the government. We need the police. We need the courts. We need a system for punishing crime. Uh, the world would be in utter chaos if we did not have these arms of government that God has established. Sinful creatures always have a me-first attitude, and so we'll try to get away with as much as we can. That's why we need government to govern us, because we are not capable of governing ourselves. We need laws, and we need a way to enforce them. So God is a God of order, and he's also a God of justice. Last week, when we talked about not taking revenge, we remember that Paul quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 32. He said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. <clears throat> so in that passage, Paul said that we are to leave room for God's justice. Now, the way we leave room for God's justice is to allow the government that God established to mediate God's justice and to enforce laws. So continuing in verse 1, God establishes government. There is no authority except from God, and those who uh, exist are established by God. So government is God's idea. It's not a man-made idea. This is God's idea to set up government over the people. Uh, and he, God himself, stands over the governing authorities. Uh, Proverbs 8, 5, uh, 15 and 16 says, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly. So God has delegated his authority uh, to government to promote justice, to protect individuals, and to punish wrongdoing. Our founding fathers, in fact, recognized that we individuals uh, under God have certain unalienable rights, which they called in the Declaration of Independence, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, that's a biblical view of government because it recognizes that God established government for the benefit of the people. Now, in my opinion, uh, a democratic republic is the best form of government because it recognizes, with a biblical worldview, that man is inherently sinful. 
Uh, man is inherently sinful. Uh, man will uh, grab as much power as he possibly can. Uh, and so the goal of a democratic republic is to spread power over as many people as possible uh, and to institute a system of checks and balances so that no one person becomes too powerful. Uh, the colonists had just left England where there was a king. They didn't want to come here and, uh, uh, before they knew it, establish another monarchy. They wanted a government that would protect them. But government can never be perfect. Uh, James Madison recognized this uh, early on. Uh, he said, there is a problem with having sinners govern sinners. And here's what he said. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable government to control the governed. And in the next place, you have to oblige it to control itself. Sinful people holding high positions of power, it's hard to have them govern themselves. So checks and balances uh, are important. Uh, Senator Paul Rand uh, said this week, I saw on Facebook, he said uh, that the purpose of our Constitution is not to limit citizens, but to limit government. And there is some aspect of that that is most certainly true. A perfect government would submit to God. Uh, that's what we want our leaders to do. We want them to submit to God. Uh, and so I liken passages like this uh, to the passages in the Bible that talk about the wife submitting to the husband. The wife submits to the husband, uh, and for, but first the husband submits to God. And it's easy, I think, easier for a wife at least, to submit to uh, a godly husband who is following God but it becomes a lot harder when the husband gets out of the will of God uh, and you're still asked to submit uh, to that husband. It's hard for a wife to submit under those circumstances. And the same is true of government. If the government is, is submissive to God, uh, acting in accordance with God's will, it's easy for us as citizens to submit to a government that is acting in accordance and submitting to God. Now the difficulty comes uh, when the government, like our government today, is increasingly intent on not following God, on, on creating laws that uh, serve the pleasures of men rather than uh, submitting to God and God's laws and God's priorities, then it's no longer acting with God's intent. And what we see happening in our country today is a country that's getting further and further from God's standard of truth and authority and biblical values. Our country is abandoning these things quite quickly. It's not submitting to God. And still, God calls us to be in subjection to the government. Remember, Paul is writing uh, to Christians living in Rome under Nero. Definitely not a Christian government, definitely not a perfect government. Uh, Paul said, submit anyway. Now, if this is true, for Christians living in Rome under Nero, it's true of all governments. Wherever we see tyranny uh, in the world, uh, still, Paul says, submit to this government. So let's not forget God's sovereignty, right? Where we see wicked government, God is still sovereign over that. And God can use even wickedness to bring people to Christ, right? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You've heard that before. That's Christians being martyred, persecuted, and that causes the gospel to spread. So God can even use wickedness for his own purposes. You all know Romans 8.28, right? Uh, if we truly believe Romans 8.28, uh, then we know that God will sovereignly work out his purposes uh, in what he allows. So uh, we submit to our government because it's God's authority on earth. God has delegated this authority on earth, and we are to submit to it. 
Now, we don't like submission, but submission is a very biblical concept. Uh, Jesus submitted to the Father, right? He obeyed the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, is there any other way? And when he didn't get an answer, that was his answer. He had to go to the cross. He submitted to his Father's will to accomplish our salvation. Now, God calls us to submit to him, too. And he established government. So as imperfect as government is, uh, it is still our obligation to submit to it. Now, if you're a lawbreaker, you get what you deserve, right? Those who insist on breaking the country's laws, uh, they not only resist government, but they resist God himself. Now, uh, we don't often think about that. I think when we are resisting government, we forget that there's another step, that when, if God put this government in place, well, now we're not only resisting government, we're resisting the God who put this government in place. So since government receives its authority from God, a uh, violation of the government is a, an affront to God. And there are consequences to disobeying government. If I go too fast on the highways, I might get a speeding ticket. If I steal something from the store, I could end up in jail. God uses the governing authorities as a check on our sinful wants and desires. And government can be an effective tool in uh, limiting the effects of man's fallenness and sinfulness. <clears throat> and so that's one of the purposes of government. Uh, here's more purposes of the government in verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So without laws and no way to enforce laws, everyone would do what is right in his own eyes, right? There would be chaos. There would be violence in the street. That's what we saw all last summer. Our country's people would not be safe. And so one of the key functions of government is to be a minister of God for good and to protect law-abiding citizens from evil. Uh, the word minister in verse 4 is the word diakonos, where we get our word deacon from. It means a servant, a servant of God. Uh, and so our rulers are God's servants on earth to protect people, promote justice, and punish wrongdoing. Now, lawbreakers should fear, fear government because it is God's minister on earth to bring about justice uh, and to uphold laws. Now, usually, law-abiding citizens have nothing to fear. Uh, I recognize that there are many cases where that is not true, uh, where law-abiding citizens sometimes do uh, fall under the hands of uh, cops who take their uh, power too far. That happens, and, and we have to recognize that. But I would also say that that's the exception rather than the rule. Uh, God created government to protect people from other people who mean them harm. And so for the government, uh, with its various forms of, of uh, authority, uh, these are God's ministers on earth uh, to do good and to restrain evil. Now, there's been a lot of talk uh, over the past several months about abolishing our police force uh, because there has been some wrongdoing uh, among police around the country. Now, I think that's about the dumbest idea that I've ever heard. Um, now... <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
there are a few bad cops. I mean, let's face it, there are a few bad cops, but there are also a few bad doctors and a few bad lawyers and a few bad plumbers and a few bad preachers. Uh, there are a few bad people in every walk of society. So should we eliminate hospitals? Is that a good idea because there are a few bad doctors? Should we eliminate the church because some pastors have taken advantage uh, of of uh, young people uh, sexually or otherwise? Uh, no, these pastors should be punished. They should be kicked out of the church. They should be sent to jail uh, for whatever they have done. And the same for cops. We should root those bad cops out. But the, to eliminate the police is to eliminate one of God's arms of justice that he established for the doing of good, protecting people, promoting justice, and punishing evil. Now. Is it worth having a conversation about perhaps how the police can do their jobs better? Sure, it's worth having that conversation. But without the police, who are you gonna call when someone breaks into your house? Uh, who are you gonna call when your daughter goes missing? We need the police. And so the police rightly doing their jobs as agents of God, as agents of government, uh, and under submission to God are God's ministers for good, restraining evil and protecting the people. So one purpose is to restrain evil, uh, to protect people, to promote good. And another purpose of government is to avenge wrongdoing. Paul says, you should be afraid if you are a lawbreaker because the government does not bear the sword for nothing. You know, government can't stop all evil. We recognize that, right? It's impossible. Their evil will still exist in the world. We can't stop all of it. But God has delegated the power of bringing wrongdoers to justice uh, after the wrong has been done. Now, that brings us to a brief discussion on capital punishment. You can't preach this text and not talk about capital punishment. Uh, in some states, including Texas, uh, we have the right here to enforce capital punishment to execute murderers. And I would say that this verse provides biblical support for capital punishment. Now, there's debate about this because some commentators think that the word uh, the sword is a metaphor for the power and authority that God or that the government has to, punishment, to punish people. But others say, no, it's a literal sword uh, that is used for the purpose of execution for people who get outside the bounds of the law. Now, remember, this is Paul. He's writing to Christians in Rome uh, under the Roman Empire where Rome governed, where Rome ruled. Uh, Roman soldiers walked around with literal swords in their belt, and they were not for decoration. Those swords were to be used to enforce and to administer justice and to enforce Rome's laws. <clears throat> you know, God mandated capital punishment as far back uh, even as Genesis chapter 9. He said, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. So all the way back in Genesis 9, we see uh, some system of protecting people from further evil uh, by uh, the, the hand of, of a larger group of people who could enforce capital punishment against a wrongdoer. The Old Testament also uh, talks about capital punishment in the events of adultery, kidnapping, bestiality, homosexuality, uh, being a false prophet, prostitution, and rape. So there is biblical support for capital punishment, but then God shows mercy to David, right? David should have received capital punishment for what he did uh, within the Bathsheba scandal. And Cain is another example, right? Cain did not suffer God's punishment of death for what he did killing his brother. And in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus criticized 
the teaching of the Pharisees who said, an eye for an eye. And he also forgave the woman caught in adultery. So, did Jesus overturn capital punishment, or is Romans 13.4 permission for the state to use its authority to punish uh, with the the death sentence? Well, it would be nice if we knew exactly what Paul meant when he said the sword. We don't have Paul's separate commentary on his own writing, so we don't know. Uh, So did he mean only God's authority to punish, or did he mean to use the sword to punish? Uh, This debate is going to rage on, and and it has raged on. Uh, My own opinion is that Jesus did not overturn capital punishment. Uh, He was criticizing the Pharisees specifically for their uh, idea that they wanted personal vengeance, uh, to execute personal vendettas for wrong done to them, rather than leaving judgment to God and the government. I think that God has given the state, uh, among its menu of options to enforce justice, I think capital punishment is still on that menu uh, because it's part of what God has commanded or at least authorized, and he's never revoked that, uh, in my opinion. So uh, I don't think we can say that God's standard of ethics and his standard of justice has changed. Uh, You may disagree with me. Uh, There are obviously a host of problems with capital punishment. Many people have been uh, unjustly executed over the centuries, and that's tragic. And of course, the issue is quite complex, and it's, it's worthy of a much more thorough treatment than I have time to give it today. But maybe if we only executed people uh, on the authority of two or three witnesses, as Leviticus says, maybe that would be a more appropriate solution. I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I can't preach this text and not talk about capital punishment and at least raise the issue here. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ and disagree on whether capital punishment should be used, but what we should all agree on is that government is God's institution. It's meant for good, for the purpose of promoting justice, protecting people, and punishing evildoers. Well, I know what you want to talk about. When can I disobey the government? When is it right for me to stand up and disobey the government? That's what we all want to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about submitting to the government. When do I have the right to disobey? Well, there are times when government oversteps its bounds. And Paul talks about it, uh, doesn't talk about it in this passage, but what happens? What do we do when government is no longer under submission to God, acts uh, outside of its mandate to promote justice, protect people, punish wrongdoing, and asks us to do things that oppose God's law? In other words, when is civil disobedience justified? Well, let's cite a few biblical examples first, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, In Exodus chapter 1, when Pharaoh uh, ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys, uh, they disobeyed. They put uh, Moses in a basket, and they floated him up the Nile. In Daniel chapter 3, when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, issued an edict that all his subjects had to bow down to this 90-foot golden statue that he made, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed. In Daniel chapter 6, when King Darius enacted a law that said that for the next 30 days you can only worship me, you can't worship another god or another thing, Daniel disobeyed and got thrown into the lion's den. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, when the Sanhedrin banned preaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles refused to obey. They said in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 19 and 20, they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So, 
Is it ever appropriate to not submit to the government, to disobey the government? Yes, it is. Uh, whenever the government enacts laws that are in direct contradiction with God's laws, well, then we choose God. Uh, the examples that I just gave uh, show some uh, times where that is appropriate. Uh, God said, thou shalt not kill. Uh, Pharaoh issued a law that thou shalt kill, uh, kill these babies. And so they were right uh, to disagree and disobey. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6, Acts chapter 4 and 5, uh, they told them uh, that you have to worship another god or not preach about Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, they rightfully diso disobeyed. A civil disobedience was the proper response. But let's remember this. Even civil disobedience happens in submission to the government, even then. So if the government uh, should enact a law that tells me that I have to stop preaching the gospel, what will I do? Well, I will peacefully continue to preach the gospel. But I also have to recognize that being under the government's authority, they may grab me and they may jail me. They might do that, and I'll, I'll count on Larry to bail me out if that happens. Uh, but that could very well happen. Um, because when we disobey, we understand that we are subject to the government, we're in submission to the government, and we will, we may, suffer the government's punishment. But still, there are times when we have to disobey. Uh, so government is God's minister on earth to promote justice, protect people, and punish wrongdoing. We want to obey uh, because, first of all, we want to uh, avoid God's wrath and the wrath of the government. But there's more to it than that. We obey we be in subjection for conscience's sake. Verses 5 to 7. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience's sake. Uh, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, Yes, we want to avoid wrath, but more importantly, we want to listen to our conscience. God has given us our, our conscience. It's like an internal regulator that tells us when we're doing right and when we're doing wrong. We obey not just because it's the safest thing to do, because we want to avoid wrath. We obey because it's the right thing to do, because we are in submission to the government. Now, of all the ways that Paul could have chosen to apply this passage, what does he choose? Taxes taxes. No one likes to pay taxes. No one does. But the government requires taxes. It's the fuel that makes the government run. So taxes fund education and foreign and domestic intelligence and uh, roads and salaries and, and everything else. Uh, if we looked at the line item of our budget, all of those things are funded by taxes. Now, remember, Paul was writing to Christians in Rome who were so overburdened by Roman taxation that in many cases they couldn't even afford to live. They had to sell themselves out as slaves. Now, Paul could have said to them, you know, these taxes are oppressive. You need to take up arms and you need to rebel against this oppressive Roman government. But Paul didn't do that, did he? He said, pay your taxes. Pay the taxes you owe. You remember the, when uh, the, the lawyers tried to trick Jesus, right, and said, uh, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, show me a denarius. Whose inscription is on it? It's Caesar's inscription. Well, then pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and pay the rest to God. 
Paul said in verse 6 that rulers are servants of God. Now, the word for servant here in verse 6 is different than the word for servant uh, or minister in verse 4. Uh, this word is the word leitorgos, which means a servant or minister of God, often even functioning in the role of a priest. So we pay our taxes to support God's ministers. We don't often think of God's ministers uh, as priests, do we? we? We certainly don't, or ministers of God. But Paul says that's what they are. Now, taxes take a big chunk out of our income that we would like to spend elsewhere, right? Either on ourselves or to give to charity or whatever we would like to do. There's nothing wrong with hiring a good accountant to be sure that you don't pay more than your fair share. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with evading taxes. Christians should pay their taxes. We of all people should pay our taxes. Uh, tax laws are always changing. Higher capital gains laws could be coming. Higher property tax and taxes on sales of property could be coming. Income tax could be going up. Estate tax could be going up. We won't like it, but civil disobedience is not the proper response in that situation. The proper recourse is to vote out the people who have instituted the taxes that we don't like. So Paul could have said, withhold your taxes from Rome if you don't like the way Rome is using your taxes. What do you think would have happened? Would not have gone well for those withholding their taxes. Off with their heads, right? The, the Roman soldiers would have taken care of that in no time. So Paul said, obey your taxes for conscience's sake. And then to render all what is their due. Paul said, render to all what is due them. Uh, taxes, uh, that's income taxes and property taxes. And then custom is a word that uh, means uh, like a toll tax or duties on other kinds of goods. We owe that too. We have to pay that. We owe respect, which uh, it's, the word is fear or respect. And we owe honor uh, to people who work in the government. All people in authority deserve respect. Now, I think it's shameful how some people treat the police and how some people treat the military in our country today. They put their lives at stake for us every day. This past Monday, June 6th, was the anniversary of D-Day, where 4,000 Allied soldiers lost their lives storming the beaches of Normandy, and 6,000 others were seriously wounded in order to protect our freedom, and where police put their lives on the line for us every day. Are we not going to show these people who put their lives on the line for us respect? We have to honor them. We have to respect them. Uh, we have to provide them a fair wage, which comes out of our tax dollars. Uh, honor, respect, that is their due. So be in subjection to the governing authorities. So there's a lot here. Uh, we could talk all day about what it means to be in subjection to the governing authorities, but the rule is be in subjection to the governing authorities. There are exceptions, but they are very few. Uh, so let's think about some applications that we can talk about here. Be a good citizen. You know, it's not that hard. Right? It's not that hard to go through your day without committing a crime. Right? Just don't do it. Don't commit crimes. Uh, be nice to people. Uh, let your conscience and the Holy Spirit guide you as to what is right. And, and do that. Make your neighborhood, make your city, make your state, make your country a better place. Make a contribution to it. Um, there are other government workers. Teachers uh, are government workers. Uh, the military, the police we've talked about. These people are worthy of our respect. Uh, even, and I got a medal here, folks, even the president you did not vote for is worthy of respect. 
the office of president is worthy of respect. I hate to break it to you, he is your president, like it or not, uh, until the next election, he is your president. Uh, so uh, we, as Christians, have to be really careful because when we rail against the government, uh, whether we do it in person, whether we do it on social media, uh, however we're doing it, we have to be sure that we are being a good Christian witness uh, with whatever we say, wherever we say it, whatever the platform is. Uh, and so I would say that our job as Christians is not to make Republicans or to make Democrats. Our job as Christians is to make Christians, to make Christian disciples. So we need our in-person presence, our social media presence, everything that we do ought to be geared toward making Christians and making Christian disciples and not uh, tearing apart the fabric of society, not causing division, but causing unity around uh, this mission that we have to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So be a good citizen. Second thing is this, obey unless you can't. The rule is to obey God. That's the rule. The second rule is to obey the state unless you can't. Now, personally, I don't like speed limits. I think I should be allowed to drive as fast as I want because I'm an excellent driver. But studies say that speeding kills people and that it's not safe for us to speed. So I try to stay within reasonable proximity of the speed limit. <laughs> reasonable proximity. I can't stand that the government makes me pay $75 per car to register my car every single year. And I have two kids who have cars, and so I pay theirs because, you know, I'm a good dad, I guess. Or I'm a sucker, one or the other. Uh, but 75 bucks per car per year, that drives me crazy that I have to pay that. But look, if they didn't collect that 75 bucks from me per car, they'd have to get it from somewhere else because the government needs a certain amount of money to function. So we obey laws we don't like. Uh, and the ones that we don't obey are the ones that directly contradict God's laws. And there are not many of those, at least not yet. So be careful about the ones you choose to disobey and be prepared that the government does not bear the sword for nothing. You may be subject to a penalty for disobedience. So be a good citizen, obey unless you can't, and finally, government's not perfect, but neither are we. You know, the Puritans thought they got it right. They had this great idea, right? We're gonna purify the church, we're gonna purify government, uh, and then they, the experiment failed because we are sinful creatures and we can't have a perfect government until the Lord returns. There are going to be sinful people running government who are over government and who are going to mess things up. Now, I'd like to believe that most people go into government and go into politics with good intentions uh, to benefit people, but that's not always the case, is it? Uh, some are in it for personal gain and there are, is always going to be some level of corruption in government, no matter who is in office because sinful humans will always uh, take more than what they are entitled to. Uh, we should condemn corruption wherever we see it, at all levels of government, but we should also remember grace, because we might, in that same situation, with that same power, we might fall subject to temptation too. Government is never gonna be perfect, but one day, Jesus will return and he will make everything right. Isaiah chapter nine says the government will rest upon his shoulders. I still believe 
that we live in the greatest country on earth, the greatest country that has ever existed. And what makes it great is our system of government. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's the best that humanity has ever devised. And so uh, in view of God's mercies, we submit to the governing authorities. We strive to keep peace. We try to make our country better, and we leave the writing of injustices to God. Let's pray. Lord God, this can be a difficult message. Uh, sometimes the government does overreach. And uh, Lord, sometimes we feel very much oppressed by uh, what the government uh, does. Lord, help us to understand that you are sovereign over government, that nothing happens outside of what you allow, what you ordain, what you control, and Lord, that you promise to make good out of whatever evil government uh, does. So Lord, help us to submit. It's very difficult to submit, uh, Lord, and when we don't agree with uh, whichever political party is in office, it makes it that much harder, Lord. So I pray that you give us the strength through the Holy Spirit who was given to us because we have believed that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and risen from the dead. Lord, if Jesus could submit to death on a cross, surely we can submit to a government that may do some things that we don't like. Lord, help us to apply this message to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.